I remember a couple years ago, my grandfather, when he died, I remember one of my biggest regrets was I didn't sit down with him and ask him about the stories of his life, about stories of how he met grandma, about stories of what it was like growing up with five other brothers and one sister, about his work, about his friends, about his time in the war. And all these stories, and maybe you are the same, of friends and loved ones who have now gone to be with the Lord, all these stories are now sealed away in a tomb. Stories are truly wonderful things. They're foundational to who we are as humans. They are something that goes back all the way throughout history. It would be oral tradition and sharing it as we sit around a campfire and talk, or pictures drawn even on cave walls, or words written in books. Nowadays, stories told through through radio or through movies and TV. I may be overgeneralizing it, but with stories, I typically think of stories in two categories. The first are those stories that that shape us, that have an impact on us, that challenge us and feed us or encourage us and inspire us. They work within our hearts and they call us to some kind of action, to do something. For me, it's Braveheart. And you get all misty-eyed, it's not the onions, it's the story. And you get all misty-eyed and you're like, I want to go and do something great now. And it wells up within you. Perhaps you know those stories, they're the go-to stories, they're the ones you watch or you read again and again and again, and you can't stop but listening to them. And then there's stories we simply consume. They're nothing more than some story to consume and move on. It's simple passing of information, but little to do with it. We receive a story uh, all the time. We're experts at this as we have an infinite amount of stories in the palm of our hands that we can access infinite information even though we don't always know what to do with it. And we love to share these stories. We love to talk about these stories. Such as, did you hear the score to the Cubs game last night? I heard it was quite interesting for anyone who stayed up and watched it. Or did you... Did you hear about the new scandal in Washington or in Hollywood or maybe at Memorial or Penn? All these stories that distract us, that are endless chatter, but they do little to actually help us. And we've become kind of experts at consuming these these small stories, these meaningless stories. As we visit and scroll through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever the new thing is, As we listen to our favorite radio shows or visit those websites a thousand times, thinking maybe something changed. We're professional consumers, if I may, of of pointless stories that have no value. It's kind of like if I like food. It's kind of like, think of it in food terms. If you ate nothing but Big Macs for a year and you all of a sudden expected to lift 300 pounds, you wouldn't. It's absurd. And so we consume these stories thinking it'll have effect on us, but it leaves us constantly feeling empty. But hear this story that Peter tells in the book of Acts. Peter's telling them a story. That's what it is. Now, many stories can be fables or false, and many stories are true. That's just the reality of story. But when Peter tells a story, he's not telling a story in the In the vein of a Greek fable, he's telling a real story, a news story, something that happened. That's what the gospel means. The word gospel means good news. It's an account of real events. And he's telling the events that happened in the life of Jesus that transpired over the past couple months and what it means for all those who gathered, ultimately for the entire world. 
And listen to where Peter starts. Peter doesn't start with 30 years ago, a baby was born in Bethlehem. He doesn't start there. He starts at the beginning. He says to the crowd, the God of Abraham. Go all the way back to the promises of God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he, Pilate, decided to release him. Peter wants to make clear to them that this is nothing new, that this story goes all the way back to the beginning. Peter and the disciples, they're not trying to start a new thing. They're not trying to kick off some new fad. They're recounting the story of God and how God chooses to relate and reveal himself to his creation. And so he continues and he looks at the people and he says, the author of life you put to death, but God raised from the dead. There's the story. And I don't imagine Peter scolding them, but rather just telling them the story. These things happen, they're true. And he's right, they were the ones who participated in it. They were the ones who were there. Peter adds this important line right after. He says, of this we are witnesses. Of his, of his suffering, of his death, but of his resurrection too. They were there when they yelled, crucify him. They were there as he hung on a cross. But they were also there when hundreds had seen the resurrected Lord. They were eyewitnesses to him, restored fully to new life. The word was out. There were witnesses. And so Peter preaches this to the people. He shares this story with the people. And I would like to think he did it with sympathy. And he dealt gently with them, just as Jesus dealt gently with Peter and the apostles. In the gospel reading, we, we start off, it just kind of starts off with, and the two disciples share this story. The two disciples in question are the two that were on the road to Emmaus that Jesus appears to and explains everything to them and opens the scriptures to them and then breaks the bread with them. And the disciples, these two disciples, then run back to the others to tell them this story of what just happened. And while they're sharing this story of Jesus who rose from the dead now appeared to them, as they're telling this story, Jesus appears in the room. And they're terrified, all of them. They think he's a ghost. You have to wonder, weren't they listening at all to what the two were just saying? Weren't they paying attention? So Jesus calls out to them. Why are you troubled? And why do questions arise in your heart? I can, I can only imagine the questions like, what's going on? How did you get here? What's going on? Jesus just appears in the middle of this room. And Jesus, in order to quell their fears, before they even can answer, he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. He's showing them the scars from the cross. He says, See that it is I myself. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you can see, I have. And they do exactly that and the fear starts to turn to, to joy and amazement. But Jesus doesn't stop. As if to further prove he's physically real, he, he does something really awesome. He asks for food. Food is great. Can you give me something to eat? And so they give him a big fish and he eats it in front of them. Why is that in there? In all the things in the scripture, why is the menu in there? It 
It's the weirdest thing in Scripture. You want healings and miracles. He ate baked fish in front of And I can only imagine the disciples, as they give him the fish, they're like, is it just going to fall through him? What's it going to do? He eats it in front of them. And as he eats the fish, they're now ready to hear the story. They now believe him. Just as he did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, now Jesus does the same thing to those in the room, and he says this. <clears throat> These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says this line, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's so much subtext in that one single line. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What did he say? Which parts of scripture? This is the same thing he does to the disciples on the road to Emmaus as they walk to their place. And I think we get a clue when we read the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or we read Peter and the other writers of the scriptures, and they say things such as, and this happened in order to fulfill what was said in the Old Testament or in the Psalm or by the prophets. Even in Acts 1, <clears throat> Peter's talking about Judas. And he says of Judas that Judas was foretold of in the Psalms when it says, may his camp become desolate and then there be no one to dwell in it. And then further in the Psalms when it says, let another take his office, which inspired the disciples to find another apostle amongst them to join the group. And later in, in Acts 2, Peter is preaching to the crowds. And he quotes large sections of the prophet Joel and countless uh, times from David in the Psalms that David wrote. Again and again, this is not a new story. We can't do this without the Old Testament. This is a continuation of God's story. The story of salvation, of redemption, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, the promise. Thus it is written, Jesus continues, that the Christ would suffer rise from the dead, and on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now there's two ways to interpret the crucifixion. First is Jesus failed. Some see the crucifixion and say, Jesus failed. So what the disciples thought is it all fell apart. It's what everyone thought. It's what the crowds thought. Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, they all thought it was failure. Thank you. That is gift. They all thought it was a failure. It looked like a failure. It looked like death. But Jesus, alive to speak for himself, offers a different interpretation of the story. That this was God's plan all along. When God in the Garden of Eden says to Adam and Eve, my offspring will crush the head of Satan. He may strike my heel, but his head will be crushed. This is what he meant. Death would have no power over the Son of God. And all the Old Testament confirms who Jesus is. The resurrected Son of God. And it is the resurrection that is proof that it is God's plan, that this death was not in vain, but ushers in this new age of of repentance, of forgiveness of sins, of new life, eternal life. Peter continued, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders did. 
Remember on the cross when Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I know you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. But God has thus brought to fulfillment what he had announced beforehand through the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ, that is the anointed one, the one God anointed, prophet, priest, and king, to carry out his mission, his only begotten son, that his Christ would suffer. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Peter doesn't say, you killed him and you're done for. Peter says, repent, be converted, that your sins may be wiped away. And he continues to quote from Moses. And this all happens, I find this fascinating, on the heel of of a great healing. Peter just healed a man. And that's what allows Peter to have this opportunity to preach. But the healing didn't convert anyone. It was only when Peter told the story. And this story is a powerful story, but it's a controversial story. In fact, Peter and John are arrested for telling the story in this instance, but over 5,000, 5,000 were converted that day when they heard the story. It was in telling the story that the disciples came to believe. And telling the story that crowds came to believe. 3,000 baptized in a single day in Acts 2. And here another 5,000 in Solomon's portico. It was in telling the story that an Ethiopian eunuch came to believe. Or Tabitha, a dealer in clothes and, and dyes. Or a Pharisee named Saul came to believe. It was in telling the story that I came to believe. So I'm sure you have too. All who are gathered here. We hear this story. The story that tells of God's love. How did you come to know Jesus? I'd venture to say that people told you their story. And their story was not their own story, but it was a story connected to God's story. The people who inspire our faith, the people we want to be around, the people who, who wow us because in the midst of even tragedy and suffering, they're so full of joy, we just can't quite figure out what's going on in their hearts, and we want that too. It's people who told their story to us of hope, of love, of something greater than the daily brokenness we experience all around us. And what I love is that the promise of God is that wherever this story is told, the Spirit is there and faith is at work. I heard the story from my grandpa. I may not have heard all of his war stories, but I did hear a story that's much more important about a God who's faithful to his promises. And a story that gives me an opportunity to spend all eternity with him, with my grandpa and so many others, and to share stories. I hear the story from my parents, from my friends, from teachers, from pastors. And even in the darkest moments of doubt through high school, God kept putting in front of me people who cared, new people who shared their stories with me. It wasn't just one person. It was a community that cared enough to never stop telling the story, and how God's story was a real part of their lives. Who told you the story? Why are you here today? Is the story one that still matters in your life? Because like a good book or a good movie, it's one we need to constantly come and hear his promises. 
Because that's what the story is. A story of promises, a story that shapes us, that transforms us, that works on our very hearts. Who told you the story? Think of all the stories in the world. All of them. Which ones do we listen to? Which ones do we tell? What was the score of the Cubs game? Anyone? 14-10. It is possible they scored nine runs in the bottom of the eighth inning in a 25-whatever-degree night uh, to pull off the win. And guess what? Next week, we'll forget. It doesn't take much to answer that question, does it? If you read a box score, you can throw out numbers and statistics or whatever else. Let me ask you another question. Why do you follow Jesus? Now that one takes time, doesn't it? That one takes our attention, requires our focus, and ultimately requires our life and our heart. Which stories have you heard? Which stories are you listening to? Which stories have you told? Is the story of God the story of your heart? I had a fun time with my son yesterday. He shared a story with me, if I may. He loves and trusts Jesus so much and thinks Jesus is involved in the smallest of all details, which is awesome. We had a funeral yesterday of a man named David Ryle. And I was telling Desmond I was going to a funeral, and he's like, oh, Jesus must have been busy this week. And I said, why is that? He goes, well, he's preparing a room for the guy. I said, well, yeah. I was like, what is, you know, what has he got to do to prepare the room? He's like, well, he's got to make sure there's no bed bugs. Now, I, bed bugs in heaven. There's a thought. My son, my son truly believes Jesus is involved in the littlest details and cares that much about our lives. And now that's part of my story. And maybe today it's part of yours. Which story has the power to change your life? It's the story of Jesus. The story which saves. The gospel. The gospel. God's story. The story of the one who died and rose again for us. So we can share in that life. And we need to be hearing it all the time. And we need to be just living it too. That it may be the story that shapes us not just now, but for life eternal, where we gather with all the saints in the glorious realm of God's kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.